You're listening to another edition of the Carboline Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. With me, as always, is Paula Jamis. Paul, how's it going, man? It's going great, Jack. I don't know if you noticed, we got a special guest in here with us today. Yep, the Jedi came back. We brought him back. We're going to dive into fireproofing again. Our last episode where we had Sean Younger in is probably, arguably, the most listened to episode of the entire podcast series. It really is. The numbers have been astounding. How many people like it? How many people have commented on the posts advertising it? It's just been a great success. So we decided we need to really pay more attention to the whole fireproofing industry as a whole and do a few episodes where we dive back into some of the differences in the different products and where and when they would be using them. I'll give these fireproofers credit for one thing. They sure do stick together. Man, uh, half do. of our fireproofing reps didn't care about anything. And then we have Sean on and it's retweet, read this, read that. <laughs> like everybody in the world, come find out and hear about Sean and, and fireproofing. Before we dive into our, we're going to talk about the Southwest products and just kind of a general 10,000 foot view of that type of fireproofing, the SFRMs. And then uh, we're going to probably have to do this in a couple episodes. There's a lot of material here. But before we dive into this, how do they get hold of us, Paul? Yeah, they can reach us at technicalservice at carboline.com. They can also get us on Twitter. Jack's at Jack underscore CTSP. And I'm at Paul underscore CTSP. So the whole time we've been sitting here, we we talked about him. He didn't say hi or anything. So, Sean, (laughs) welcome to the fold. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we just wanted to kind of take the opportunity through this podcast to kind of explain the Southwest line. I think probably the the most misunderstood uh, group of products we have here at Carboline. And uh, as we said, there's a lot of technical issues with these types of products and make sure that that they're used and applied correctly and specified correctly. So we just wanted to um, take the chance to kind of break it down. And you said the basics, introduce all the products and maybe go into some of these different technical issues, too, uh, as we need. So like I said, we wanted to talk about the Southwest products. So there, there's a handful of them here, and these are either gypsum or Portland cement-based fireproofing. I, I use the term SFRM, which uh, really needs to have an A in there. It really kind of messed with my head a little bit. Let's, uh, let's, let's hyphen stuff yeah. like last names and just say, oh, no, this is one word for real. Like, it's not two words. So that stands for spray applied fire resistant material. So uh, the the A doesn't count because we put a hyphen in. Right. I guess the S A F R M didn't sound as good. So yeah, we the just hyphenated saffron. that. Saffron. 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 <laughs> Sean, where are these products used? We're, we're always going to be using these kind of products. All the Southwest materials are always going to be used for either commercial or light industrial type applications. So we're talking about, like we said, you know, anywhere where you have occupancy of a building, office buildings, airports, you know, hospitals. It could also be used in pharmaceutical plants, power plants, uh, any kind of anything that would be classified as like a light industrial, uh, anything other than something that would require like a petrochemical type. Uh, well, rate. sure, but we're not like spraying this on the walls and the floors and stuff. We're, we're, we're <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's going to be used for structural steel. We're talking about concealed areas. Normally, um, an SFRM would be used, you know, above a drop ceiling. It would be concealed inside a, uh, a wall covered with drywall. It could be covered with column covers in the case of an exposed column. But generally, it's in a concealed environment. So this is the stuff that when you're walking through the mall and somebody's got one of the drop ceilings pushed up and you see what looks like, uh, almost like insulation of on those steel beams, 
that's usually one of these SFRM type products. Correct. It's it's usually you know a, a heavily textured. I, I call a cellulosic looking uh, kind of crushed up newspapery kind of look to it when it's spray applied. You know, it's funny. Before I started at Carbline, I never noticed that. Yeah, like, no. You never noticed the SFRM materials in the real world. Now it's like. Ooh, look at that one. I wonder if that's ours. Ooh, look at that one. I wonder if that. The one unique part that keep or that keeps all of these together that it's not unique. It's it's the same through all of these is they're a cementitious type product and they're either Portland cement or gypsum. And what we look at is the density that these are going to be applied at is going to affect their ratings. And we've got them broken down in carboline down into two different categories that we have uh, the Southwest type five and the Southwest type seven. And Sean, can you tell us a little bit, what's the major differences between the Type 5 and the Type 7? Okay. First of all, all of these products, all the entire Southwest line is all tested to ASTM E119 or UL263. This is a cellulosic fire test. This is similar to what we talked about in the last podcast with our Thermosorb products. So this is a fire curve that commercial products are tested to. Okay. This is supposed to simulate... Uh, burning wood, fabrics, uh, things that you would find in a in an office building or, or or some other type of commercial building. So when we when we say commercial, the, we're talking about these are buildings that people would be inhabiting. This is either like a commercial uh, store or apartment buildings or or office buildings or I think you said hospitals. Correct. Yeah. So any building that would have occupancy, and it's based on. The, the fire rating of that building is obviously based on the, the, the International Building Code, which has a breakdown of the different types of occupancies and then the corresponding types of fire ratings that should go with that type of building. But in a nutshell, any occupied building that's going to have people either living or working, um, or in the case of a hospital, just have occupants in, the, in that building will have to have fire rating of some type. Um, obviously a building like a hospital would be the most stringent, which would require the longest duration fire rating. Okay, great. So one thing that we kind of talked about this morning as we were preparing for this episode is you were saying the building code kind of changed back, uh, 18 years or so with a kind of major world event. In the wake of nine 11, um, after the, the towers failed prematurely, it was thought that the, the main reason for the, for the failure um, was that the SFRM materials that had been applied to the structural steel had been blown away by the impact. So there'd been changes that had been made since the building code, and I believe it was instated in 2014, um, where they've now listed out different bond strength criteria based on the height of the building. So as a building is taller in height, it will require a higher bond strength of the SFRM material being used for that building which is thought to be if there is any type of explosion or any type of event that the that the uh, material will have that higher bond strength to be able to stay intact and stay in place on the steel and be able to perform in a fire. What we were talking about earlier, Sean was pointing out that as the building gets taller, we have to change the bond strength. And that bond strength, that'll be my first thought was, so does it change as we go up? And that answer was no, it has to be a higher strength for the entire building. Yeah, and the way it's it's broken down in the current um, IBC code is that for buildings up from, from grade level to 75 foot tall require a bond strength of 150 PSF. This is pretty low. That's that's and basically able to be achieved with a 15 pound density product. And PSF, for everybody in the paint industry, you know, PSF is pounds per square foot, 
not pounds per square inch. That's normally how we talk about adhesion properties and coating. So we're already talking about something much, much lower and since it's the amount, you know, it's the pounds per square foot is a, is a very different ratio. Yeah, I mean, pounds per square foot is, is you know, you're talking about, what, 144, 144 times, times less. less. Yeah. So um, we're talking about, again, for, for buildings from zero to 75 feet tall require a bond strength of 150 PSF. This would be the classification where our type 5 GP material would fall into. So any building up to 75 feet tall, that's where you would use the Southwest type 5 GP. Um, as you move up to the next classification, you're talking about buildings between 75 feet and 420 feet tall. In this case, and this is the entire building, as Paul said, not just at that height, you would require a material that has a minimum bond strength of 430 PSF. So now you're moving up from a, from a low density product up into the grade of a medium density material. So this would be uh, achievable with our type 5 MD product which is probably our most versatile Southwest product because it can be used on basically any building height because it has a, a higher bond strength, but it's still a gypsum based product. When you move then for the next classification, you're talking about like skyscraper type buildings that are greater than 420 foot tall. They require a bond strength of a thousand PSF throughout the whole building. So then you're moving up to either again, type five MD can meet this requirement or you would move up to a Portland cement-based product, which is the Southwest Type 7 materials, where you would use the Type 7 GP. The last density classification we have is the Southwest Type 7 HD. This is a 36 to 40 pound density product used on areas only for a high durability factor where your, your area is prone to impact, vibration, mechanical uh, rooms, things like that. So we'd be looking like an elevator shaft or an area around a door where you've got a lot of moisture in Correct. the environment. Okay, yeah. great. So I guess to circle back around, the main difference between the Type 5 and the Type 7 is that the Type 5 is gypsum-based and the Type 7 is Portland cement-based. There's a couple different classifications within each one, and Sean just kind of went over there which ones and how they're different. One thing I kind of want to bring up since we talked about the gypsum-based materials is injection spray. Sean, do you kind of want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, I mean... Curious fireproofing contractor is is injecting um, these materials, and and you can only alum inject gypsum based products. So we're only talking about our type five materials here, and the industry standard is to inject these products with an alum solution. Ours is called Accelerator A20. This material it basically comes in a in a fifty pound bag, and basically use about ten gallons of water per bag for a mix. This is then conveyed up to the nozzle and injected into the material line and we're, we're getting into a little bit of detail here of the sure. application setup sure. but it's injected about 20 feet back from the nozzle and what it does is it causes a chemical reaction between the alum and the gypsum in the product causing the material to swell about 15 to 20 percent and that swelling of the product means you have 15 to 20 percent increased yield which results in a 15 to 20% increase in your coverage. So the only way you're going to be competitive from a, from a coverage standpoint and material usage standpoint is to alum inject. And the other thing is when you alum inject, it's reducing your density. So sure. it's a, it's a trade off between, you know, as your coverage is going up, your density is going down. So there's a balancing act there between how much water are you using in your mix of the product 
how much alum are you injecting and what rate are you injecting. So it gets a little more complicated and we go over all this stuff usually in our, in our fireproofing schools and our training. But just to know that when you're using a type five product, you should also be using Accelerator A20 to inject all for every application. Well, that's a good point. I really kind of wanted to bring this up since you mentioned it is Carbaline does really good job with fireproofing schools and training. So if you're out there and you're using our materials and you haven't been through our trainings or you're interested in using our materials, reach out to your Carbaline sales rep and, and come in and get that very valuable training. We have it broken out by commercial and industrial schools. We have intumescent and cementitious schools. We'll even customize a training for you if, if you if need be. Yeah, I mean, we, I think currently we usually have uh, four schools a year. Um, we have two commercial schools, one in the spring, usually March or April, and one in the fall, either in September or October. Um, and then the same thing, we also have an industrial school as well during those same time frames. And like you said, if, if we have a customer or somebody that needs to come in and be trained or they want to bring their company in for, for specialized training, we will accommodate whenever possible. But we, we usually hold those four schools a year. And it's first come, first serve. We're usually somewhere in the range of between 30 and 40 attendees per, per school. And if you, haven't, if you haven't been to any of our schools here at Carboline, we really do have a fantastic area that we do the coatings training in and the fireproofing training. Both are done in there with multiple uh, hoods to be able to work in. We've got a great outdoor space for when we're able to work outside on some bigger structures. It's a great space to do these trainings with a classroom sitting right there. So we're really able to incorporate everything from... From the book part of it where you sit in the classroom and you learn and then when you actually go and do hands-on the the fireproofing schools are fantastic so last time we had you in sean we talked about in intumescent fireproofing materials and the intumescent fireproofing materials provide their fire protection by expanding when exposed to heat these materials really are just insulative right and that's how they work to perform their fire protection yeah, these materials work more, like you said, more of an insulative property to them. Um, what it is, it's mixed with water. You have your material mixed with the, the correct amount of water. A lot of that water will evaporate off, but, sure. but some of it is kept chemically bound within the product. Um, and that water just stays there, bound up, until it reaches a certain temperature where it creates like a steam layer that forms within the thickness of the material. So that steam zone is what actually is going to protect for a given amount of time based on the thickness applied. So like we discussed when we sat down and started this today, we've barely skimmed the surface of this type of fireproofing, but we don't want to beat you upside the head for 30 minutes or 40 minutes at a time with this material. So I think we're going to come back next week and we're going to talk about kind of break down the specific products a little bit within the line. And then I'm going to leave you with a little bit of a cliffhanger. Um, for next week, we're going to come back and we're going to tell you why a primer isn't always the best idea for this material. You typically think anytime you do a job, anybody who knows anything about paint is like, well, you got to use a primer. Even people who don't know anything about paint are like, you got to use a primer. Well, next week we'll get into it, why that's not a good idea, and kind of break down all of our different Southwest products and the ancillary products that go along with them. So thanks for listening. Sean, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. We're going to hold you here and do a couple more episodes with you. But uh, until then, we'll see you guys next Monday.